All right, welcome back to another episode of the Public Speakers Podcast. I'm here with Kate, all the way from Brisbane, Australia, um, who is the CEO and founder of uh, Presentation Boss, which is a public speaking communications consulting firm back in Brisbane, Australia. So uh, we connected on LinkedIn, like I've connected with a lot of these guests. She posted a piece of content about public speaking. I commented under it, and now we're here doing this podcast, hopefully going to get some good tips and value for everybody here. So Kate, why don't you introduce yourself, say where you're from, what you're currently doing in the speaking industry, and then we'll get into a bunch of questions. Yeah. Hi. Um, thank you so much for having me. So as you said, I'm based in Brisbane and I run a public speaking um, consultancy business. My background is in data analytics. So I was a data analyst and had to do a lot of presentations, you know, presenting my findings and all of that sort of thing. And I would find that the response that I always got was like, oh, thanks, that was really interesting. And that was it. <laughs> and I think I, that's about the worst response that you can have to a presentation is thanks, that was interesting because that's a very polite response. It's just like, cool, I don't know exactly what you've told me and I don't know what to do with the information that you've given me. But that was interesting. Thank you is, is the polite right. let's move on um, response. So um, it was this combination of being really frustrated that people didn't understand my recommendations or um, didn't have any follow-up to my presentations and I kind of have this pathological need to be liked as well as wanting to be really good at my job. Right. So I, I really had to learn how to present like really dry data and number information in a really engaging manner. Awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. That's what I teach now. Sorry, that's what I teach now is teaching people sort of the analyst types and the really technical people how to present their information well. So when you, so you trans, so you transitioned into teaching public speaking because you came from a data analytics perspective. Can you give a little more context on what you were presenting and why it was coming off sometimes as like not entertaining enough for a lot of the people you were presenting to? Yeah, so I worked in two different areas. One was finance. So I did a couple of years there and presenting, you know, budget, forecast, monthly information, results, that sort of thing. And people, you know, they they had the same thing every month and you'd see like their eyes glaze over and they wouldn't really be engaged in what I was telling them. Um, there was no kind of in-depth conversation that came out of my presentations. Right. And then I moved into workplace health and safety. And, like, if you think people are not interested in finance, safety is a whole other world. <laughs> but people just, they just don't find it interesting. Right. Um, and, again, you know, presenting safety information from each month that um, happened and then kind of things that were upcoming and, and projections and all that sort of thing. Gotcha. Yeah. So when it comes to, I mean, let's get into some of the depths of what I really yeah, wanted yeah. to talk to you about. Um, so you came from a technical background. You started realizing your presentations aren't really matching people. And I'm assuming, obviously, through the course of that time, you figured out some little secrets and tips to get your communication tactics to actually work with your technical information, which allowed you yeah. to make the consultancy you have right now. Before we get into some of the nitty gritty tips on how we can yeah. better communicate technical information in the current global workforce we have, I want to get into a little bit more of a philosophical discussion. Why do you think mm-hmm. people who have a technical background, who are doing the real grunt work that makes our society go round, why do you think there's a disconnect when it comes to the actual ability to communicate their work? 
Because I think you get so wrapped up in your numbers and your data because that's your entire world. You do that for, you know, close to eight hours a day. And you can very easily see this top-down picture and what you're really interested in is that detail and that that nitty-gritty stuff that you're in every day. Right. And you kind of forget that that people don't have that same understanding as you because to you it becomes quite easy and it becomes quite natural and simple and you kind of forget that other people don't have that same understanding. I believe it's called the curse of knowledge. Right. right. That you believe other people know what you know. Right. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I mean, I, I would understand that as well because I've been doing public speaking and, and, and uh, debate specifically since I was 13. And I realized yeah. that when I had to teach it, it is a little different. Even though you're good at communication, when you have to communicate what you're good at, it gets a little harder because it feels so natural and it, there, it, there definitely can become a disconnect. Um, so that makes, a, that makes a lot of sense to me. In terms of the actual need for communication, I think we can both agree that like, if you have the technical data and it just can't be communicated in this big world of big data analytics, then there's no value for your data, right? Because you can't actually get it to, to an audience. So let's uh, dive deep into it. What do you think are some of your best tips or your best advice for approaching a framework of a technical person being able to transition into a better communicator? Yeah, for me, it's all about planning. You've really got to have a plan on, on how you're going to communicate. As an extrovert myself, I talk to think. Right. So I tend to talk and to ramble. And often we see people who kind of believe that they're fine at communicating, they believe that they're fine at public speaking. They're the ones who are happy to talk, but they're just rambling. They're not actually saying anything of substance yeah. because while they're talking, they're processing. So I really try and get people to to understand that need that you need to sit down and plan first. Don't get up there and then start thinking about what you're going to say. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah no, that makes a lot of sense to me. I actually, I just recently uh, had some TEDx tryouts at, at my college. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, we have to, I have to take a 15-minute speech and condense it to a seven-minute version. And uh, I, I, I woke up pretty late before the tryouts. I had to catch the bus. So I had like an hour to rehearse this speech. And I think the speech went okay, but I mean – I got to rehearse it five times. If I got to rehearse it 15 times, it would have been better because when you're on stage and you're thinking of what you have to say, forget all the pressure of everyone looking at you and then thinking about what they're thinking about you. Thinking about what you have to say results in rambling versus knowing what you have to say, knowing exactly how to transition to what you want and then just living in that moment. Um, Absolutely, but, yeah. You kind of need to make all of those decisions before you get anywhere near the stage. You need to decide what's going in and what's staying out because the more you know about something, like the bigger your base of knowledge is and the more decisions that you have to make on on what you leave out right i also think that's key to like authenticity right a lot of speakers uh, yeah i've talked to they're like how can i be more authentic how can i sound authentic and i think there's not really a formula for it other than being authentic and part of that comes with just having a solid base of knowledge that you know about and you know you know about it so that when you communicate it it doesn't have to be manufactured as if you think you know about yes it. yes right. absolutely that it's being confident in your own knowledge and just being happy to share that. That's as simple as it is. Right. So when it comes to um, actually presenting like uh, technical stuff, what are do you think like storytelling and narrative it has a world in financial projections? Or for example, do you think that speakers can use the power of story and one of the most the thing that has been so native to us ever since we came as a species to actually communicate high level intricate data? 
Yes. Oh gosh. Yes. Storytelling works in in just about every scenario. I think, and I think like it's the understanding of what a story is around data. And I think for me, a story is just putting information in a logical way and having a framework around how you present each piece of data and where it goes. Right. So, for example, some of the questions you might answer for a story is you start with like, why did we start looking into this data? Where, what's the background of that, the context? You look at what's the problem that needed solving. Mm. And then what did the data show us? So, and then you there you talk about, were you surprised by any of the results? Right. Is there anything grossly unexpected that came out of that data? And then the next step is you move on to, well, why do you think that's the case? Whether it's what you did expect or didn't expect, why is why is that the actual case of that? And then what do we do about it and why? So what do you expect to happen from these actions? So it's the story is purely the kind of chronological order of of what your data is telling you, what the problem was, how you went about solving it, and what the next steps are. And then you can kind of end that with, well, what would happen if we don't make these recommendations or actions? So that becomes your story, that just a kind of five-step framework around it. Right. Yeah, I agree with that a lot because, I mean, um, when it comes to public speaking in general, I think one of the biggest things is, like, what problem are you trying to solve when you're giving a good speech? I actually had a podcast with with Neil Gordon, who's a coach down in California, and he said whenever he's coaching clients, is like his biggest question is, like, what problem are you trying to solve? And once you can figure that out, you can reverse engineer yeah. the entire structure of the speech. So in terms of like financial projections, it's like, what is the problem? What can we do about it? How did we try to solve it? And then what recommendations do we currently have in the future? And that narrative in and of itself, because it starts with a beginning, middle and end, and because everything we know to be uh, something captivating for humans, like music, art, film, books, has a beginning, yeah. middle and end, it starts to resonate with humans a lot. Yeah, because you need to answer that question to people, which is like, why am I listening to you? Why are you taking up my time? Why why are you talking? You need to always justify the act of talking, I believe. Yeah, I think you need to have ethos. I think because, like, I, I don't feel bad for speakers who can't command the attention of a room. I actually, I had a, uh, a I teach public speaking classes throughout the week, and I, and I teach fifth graders, and they're so young, and, and they're, they're so innocent. And, I was t and one <laughs> fifth grader, he was giving his speech. They only have to give a minute speech. And 20 seconds in, he was like, Mr. Coach Amit, everyone's like, like looking at me and, and, and I don't think they're paying attention and one person's on their phone and I looked at him and I was like, Ty, I don't care. Like, this is your fault. And this is real. This is with a fifth grader, right? I was like, if they're not paying attention, your speech is boring. You're just not entertaining enough. You're not, you're not yeah. paying their attention. And it was a reality check for him and he was like, all right, I want to do it again. And he did it again and he actually got their attention this time and they clapped for him at the end because I think it's just, we have to have accountability as speakers, right? Like when you go to conferences, when you go to events, when you give presentations, everyone there is spending their time, sometimes their money to listen to you. And it's like the justification or the validation of why that is a thing that's happening needs to be validated in a unique way. That's it. I think you've got a responsibility to be engaging and entertaining. That's your responsibility as a speaker. Right. How important do you think the role is of interacting with the audience, especially with technical information? Do you think like at least what I've discovered is asking questions is a good way to get people involved. Do you think there's a, sp a specific technique in terms of what questions are the most engaging to get people to listen? Yeah, I think there's there's not a set answer for that. 
because it really depends on your audience, on who you're actually speaking to. Right. Um, whether you want too much engagement. Because the, the fear with some things is, you know, if we look at this um, data story of what did the data show us and were we surprised by anything that came out, you can ask your audience, you know, are you surprised? What did you expect? And why do you think that happened? It can throw you quite off course. And it can, you have to be careful about changing the narrative by asking for audience interactive interaction. Because if they change the narrative, then suddenly your recommendations and your actions are not going to make sense. That's a good point. So you need to be careful. By the same token, you know, audience interaction can work really well if you ask them, you know, maybe a hands up um, if you think this or, or whatever. But just kind of on audience interaction, you need to earn that interaction. Yeah. If you've come in cold to an audience and you're asking people, oh, put your hand up if, if you think this, oh, you often don't get that response because people are like, hang on, who are you? Who are you to be telling me to, <laughs> to put, put my, my hand, hand up? up. <laughs> you have to build that rapport and earn that interaction. And I see speakers make that mistake is they come out and – and they expect this level of interaction straight away. Right. So, yes, interaction, to actually answer your question, interaction is good as long as it's done in the right way and you understand why you're doing it and you're conscious of the risks um, in terms of can they take you off course and can you get a completely cold reaction, um, right. which might throw you off and it might throw the audience off immediately. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that as well. I think it's kind of like when you expect interaction, you're ex it's like you're selling, right? You sound like a salesperson at that point, right? Throw yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, why should I throw my hand up? Versus asking a question that is contextual and relevant to the audience. So if it's like, if it's a bunch of realtors or something, and you're like, uh, put your hand up if you sold a property in XYZ, and then maybe even that that's not the best question. At least you're talking about something that actually gets them to care about it because it has to deal with their own personal experiences, which, which allows yeah. them to give you attention. Right. Yeah. And I think people are a bit wary of answering yes to something. It's like, who wants to make a million dollars in the next week? Like, oh, oh God. What, what are you selling me? I'm not putting my hand up for that because what are you about to sell me? Right. You know what I mean? Like getting a yes response is um, people are very wary of it. Right. Right. And it, it has to be contextual. So like for my for my TED talk, um, I did start with a question. And one of my, the, the whole concept of my TED talk was like how to get more time out of the short time we have in life. So the first question I asked, which was to a bunch of 20 year olds who were primarily the people in the audience was, um, if I was selling you another year on your life, meaning you were going to die at 60 and I was going to sell you another year so that you could live till 61 for $20, how many people would buy it? And everyone's hand went up and it's cause like it was contextual. A bunch of people are at this young yeah. age. It affects all of us. We all want more time out of life. And it's cheap as hell. It's 20 bucks. Like, who's not going to buy another year for your life for 20 bucks, right? And then I use that to transition into the, the gist of my talk, but I got their attention for a reason, right? Yeah, and it doesn't sound like there's anything hidden there. It doesn't sound like there's a risk to answering that question either. Right, and I, th I think that I think that, that's one of the most important concepts of, of technical data storytelling is like, is there a risk involved in getting the audience to be interactive or is it just so yeah. genuine that they want to interact so they feel as if they're moving with the presentation? It's it's no different than professors and, and lecturing, right? Like when a really good professor is uh, lecturing, the, aud the, the they have the control of a 300-person lecture room. Most professors can't do yeah. that because they're not entertaining enough. 
Yes, so true. I mean, I did finance at university. Finance lecturers are not – they're not the most entertaining people in the world. (laughs) Yeah, I'd imagine. I'd imagine. Um, Let's talk a little bit about body movement, hand movement, eye contact gestures. Where do you think – so with body movement, right, we see this, like, whole world in speaking where people, like, pace back and forth and they use their hands in certain ways and they interact with a stage. They have stage presence. Do you think that's really important when it comes to technical uh, data communication or do you think more the content of what you're saying influences massively the actual interaction you're going to get? Interesting. Depends, I guess, on your stage size. I would say a presentation is a visual medium. If your information is the only thing that's important, then send them a report. Simple as that. But when you're presenting, again, you've got an obligation to to use everything, words, voice, body, visuals in terms of, um, you know, PowerPoint or whatever you're using, use it all. Why would you not use what is available to you? Right, right. So, yes, I believe body body language is definitely important, but it needs to be that balance between natural, but then if your natural is, you know, very closed and very small, anyway then maybe you do need to force yourself a little to be a little bit bigger right. for the stage right and but body language absolutely important because naturally if you're i mean we're doing it right now i'm doing it right now you just talk with your hands naturally and then people get to the stage and they just kind of clam up they have no idea what it's like doing. hang on 10 minutes ago we were talking and you were talking beautifully with your hands and using your body like what's going on now that you're suddenly in front of 10 people instead of one Right. I, I think hand movement is one of the most natural things. I, like people have asked me how to explain talking with your hands and I actually don't know the answer. I, like I feel like you have to just you, when you talk and your hands naturally move, it's something that human beings do. You have to develop your own persona of how your hands are symbiotic with your, your words and then just don't let that go yeah. away when you get on stage. There's no right answer for body language. It's just, yeah, what what matches your personality and your your body right right absolutely um yeah i want to talk a little bit about the presentation boss uh the company itself Mm -hmm. so is this what you're doing full-time now or is are you also yeah it is yeah so when did you make the transition from like uh analyst to full-time ceo um about three years ago i left my corporate job because um it was just a lot of time that was away i've got young kids so i needed to um, not spend so much time at work. I was dropping my daughter at daycare at 6.30 in the morning and then picking her up at 5.30 that afternoon. Yeah. And it was just crazy. Like, why have kids if you're not going to spend time with them? It was really affecting that. So I um, left my job and had a really big think about where is my skill set? Right. What do I want to actually go and do? What can I, what is uh, my sellable skills? And it was this combination of um, presentation skills and data analytics, essentially. My business partner is, he's a pilot by background and is just an absolute gun with PowerPoint and uh, visual communication stuff. And we kind of had a match and, um, yeah, put presentation bus together. So that's where it kind of came from, yeah, just over two years ago now. 
So you think your necessity to become basically an entrepreneur was built upon the fact that you needed more freedom of time to spend with the people you actually cared about. And then you just had to figure out what skills could you offer to the marketplace? Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. So in terms of presentation boss, how did you guys first start getting people to like actually consult for and like get uh, work for? Oh, we started referrals, word of mouth. We tried a couple of things at first. Um, it's It's been this whole evolution and I, I do believe that will continue to evolve and I think every business does. You try a couple of things. We tried offering um, workshops to the public, right. which the first couple went really well and then they started to kind of peter out. It was a, a lot of time and energy invested into actually finding people. Right. So it's been this kind of evolution and now we, we deliver to larger corporations, people with teams that are trying to, Again, kind of like your analyst types, teams that have those technical experts um, right. and deliver kind of workshops within those teams. And you think the way you got from like trying to give out free workshops to actually getting corporate clients is just like consistent word of mouth and consistent grinding and putting in the work in? Yeah, it's a lot of work. And I think I think we realized reasonably early on that what we're really good at, the presentation side, the teaching people presentation skills, is a really small part of your business. Whatever you actually do yeah. becomes 10, 15% of your business and the rest is is marketing and learning how to sell yourself and the actual business skills around your, what your actual business is, right. which was a really big realisation for us um, and also, you know, understanding that marketing is boring. It's sold as this creative, fun, exciting thing. And it is for the first half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just consistency. Yeah. Just consistent, boring, over and over, repetitive. And that's okay. Like once you have that understanding, um, that is what business is about, is, is about that consistency. What do you think is the future for Presentation Boss? Do, are you guys trying to expand globally? Do you have this larger mission or purpose about public speaking? Where do you see yourself, I guess, in the next five to ten years in terms of this public speaking concept that you guys really want to spread? Yeah, well, we've, we've designed a few workshops now. and We would really love to have people deliver that, deliver our content throughout a lot of organizations because, you know, I think we've got some really great content and can really make a difference in people's careers and their organizations to actually communicate what they're doing to their wider business. Right. So that is my ideal world. I mean, I've got a six month old baby at the moment, so world domination is probably not within the next year for me, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, long term, long term, that would be my ideal. Yeah. That, that six month old must be dominating your world right now. So, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Um, okay, this is going to be my last question. Uh, kind of yeah. my, my, my macro level question I ask to a lot of guests. You've been in a public speaking consultancy position for a couple of years now. You've been helping a lot of corporate teams understand communication. You've been helping them transition from their boring technical communication skills to lively, better technical communication skills. How would you, in a nutshell, advise someone to get over their fear of public speaking? I would say to them, it's not about you. They're not interested in judging you for 
however you present and what your public speaking skills are, they are there for your message and to actually learn and absorb what you have to say. And you have a responsibility to share that, not to be so hung up on yourself because it's not about you. I, I agree with that. It's 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 really not about you. If they're laughing at you, if they're making jokes, like it's not about you at all. It's it's about when you're giving a public speech, it's offering value, whether it's information, persuasion, entertainment to your audience. And if you're afraid of public speaking, that means you're afraid of offering the right value, which means you just haven't figured out what problem you're trying to solve. You haven't figured out what value you're trying to give. Once you figure that yeah. out, then it then it becomes a cake, uh, a walk in the park. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and no matter how much you think that your audience knows, there is always something that you know that they don't. There's always something of value that you can give others. Because everyone's different. Everyone has their own life and experience. And you haven't, yeah. haven't lived Kate's life. Kate, life, Kate hasn't lived Amit's life. So we always have something interesting to share with each other. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, yeah, just really believing that you do have something of value to offer. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. that wraps it up. This is a good 30-minute episode of the Public Speaker Podcast. Tate, Kate, let everyone know where they can find you, where they can find Presentation Boss, and then we'll head out. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, love to connect with people. And my website, presentationboss.com.au, which is where you can find all of our workshop information and a little bit more information um, all over there. All right. Awesome. That was Kate from Presentation Boss. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Public Speakers Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks so much for having me, Amit. All right.